on. Let's just, uh, before I start speaking, and let's just uh, pause for a word of prayer, please. And Lord, in Jesus' name, we ask you the name above all names. Please fill this, this message with your power, with your spirit, this, uh, our hearts, Lord, our, our being, our, who we are, what we are, what we're going through. We just thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Fulfill your purposes for this and cover with the blood of Jesus. And we love you and, and bless you and uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Amen. Okay, well, I've been known to actually freak people out. Some people, they say, oh, no, you're going to talk about the yoke? And they're like, oh, how boring. Um, I'm going to speak about Elijah a little bit. I'm not going to explain everything about him, but there's some things that I'm interested in about this Elijah. And this, if you have a Bible this morning, we're going to be talking a lot about, um, a little bit about 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you have a Bible or your phones or whatever you want to read, or I'll have the scripture up here, so if you don't have it, it's not really necessary. But Elijah was a man that was a prophet of God during a time when Israel was really quite chaotic, quite chaotic, and um, not a lot of, like, the things have been changed. God was not honored. Prophets were bought off. Prophets were killed. Wicked kings were ruling. There was a lot of problems. And then along comes Elijah, man appointed by God. And this is what we know a bit about Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. This is really quite critical to the, whole, to the whole service. He was just like us. Sometimes on some of the things we're going to talk about that happened to him, you might think that he was really quite special. But according to the Word of God right here in James 5.17, a nature like ours, which means basically he was like us. He had 206 bones, 639 muscles, 900 ligaments all joined together with 94 kilometers of nerves. That's what we are. Okay? We're all like that. Same. Same as this man, Elijah. But one day, this lady here, that one right there, she's Jezebel. And this man right here, that's the king. You've got to forgive me because obviously I didn't have photography back in those days, but I'm doing the best I can here to tell this story. Elijah said to Ahab, it's not going to rain for several years. This is really quite important because Ahab worshipped the god Baal. And Baal, the people that worshipped Baal, believed that Baal was the god who controlled the rain and the harvest. So right away, now we have the prophet of God coming up to challenge King Ahab. It says, yep, not going to rain for three years. And sure enough, it didn't. So then after that challenge, God says to Elijah, go and hide. Because there was almost a thousand prophets of Baal that were after him now. God says, go and hide over by the the brook Kidron here. This is this brook. And I'm going to send the ravens to bring you meat and bread every morning. 
I've commanded them, God said, I've commanded them to do that, which is really unusual. Sometimes, when, in God's provision, it's unusual what He does and what He uses. Because it's totally against the raven's nature to share anything. Can, we can't imagine a raven having a piece of bread in its mouth and a piece of meat and taking it to a man, saying, here's your food for the day. But eventually, Elijah's there. Everything's good. And I was thinking that probably Elijah by this time would have probably been thinking he's pretty special. Because he, firstly, he heard from God. Said, yep, tell Ahab and go challenge him. Then go over there and I'm going to feed you with some birds and some really bizarre things that aren't normal. So I imagine that he might have been thinking, mm, okay, I've got this in the bag here. And um, after the brook dried up, because now it's three years later, and the brook dried up because there's been no rain. So God sends Elijah to another place where actually is the hometown of Jezebel. And this lady here has nothing but a little bit of oil left over and a little bit of, you know, things to eat. And Elijah tells her, go and make me my, the final meal. She thinks she's making him the final meal. But as we know, if you know the scripture, the Bible says that the, the materials, the products, they continue to, to multiply. They continue to grow. They never ran out. And she had this baby, this boy. Well, anyway, this boy ends up dying. And Elijah goes and he lays on that child for three times and he prays, God, bring back the boy's spirit, bring back the boy's life. So he's doing these amazing, marvelous things because God gave the boy his life back. So this is a photo of him taking that baby or that child, probably not a baby, but a child already, back to the mother. And the mother says, oh, now I'm convinced that you're a prophet of God and God speaks to you. So he's no slouch, Elijah. He's a top, you know, he's up there with the big preachers, the big teachers of the time. Quite important to know because here we have him doing something that's really, really, really quite what we're going to study today a little bit. This is a photo just to put your mind around it. This altar here, this was an altar that Elijah built of stones. Now, he put 12 stones together, the Bible says, which is quite a significant in this story because Israel, at the time, we'll call it Israel, was split in half. There was a northern kingdom, there was a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom had 10 tribes, the southern kingdom had 2 tribes, but Elijah put all these stones together to symbolize that Israel was one nation. There is no separation. So, this kind of probably disturbed a few of the Jews, and also it disturbed a few of the Baal people. So let's read this. This is where we're going to start here. 1 Kings chapter 18. Sorry, I said 17, but it's 18. I didn't print the whole chapter, but just some interesting parts I want to talk about. So Ahab, this is um, after the challenge about uh, who's God. Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, and this is for our, us too, how much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal is God, then follow Him. But the people were completely silent. I'm wondering why. And I'm thinking that, <laughs> look, if I'm 
these people, when they were worship, following King Ahab, worshiping Baal, they had a pretty fun time. There was, they could do whatever they wanted. We won't even go into any details, but use your imagination. Everything that your, your lust of the flesh would want to do, they could do. Free. And all of a sudden, it's like, ooh, I'm not so sure I want to give that up. But then the prophet says, challenges them, if God is God, then let him be so. What happened? The prophets of Baal, firstly, chapter, verse 26. So they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they had made. About noontime, and now this is where I see Elijah a bit like me, because I'm, I can understand this part. Elijah began mocking them. Ha! You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed. For surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming. Or is relieving himself, going to the toilet. Or maybe he's away on a trip. Or, asl- or is asleep and needs to be awakened. Ha! Get that image in your mind. Can you imagine? 850 prophets there dancing around the fire. So, what did they do in response? They shouted louder, and following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon until the time of evening sacrifice, but there still was no sound, no reply, no response. I'm not exactly sure what these guys were doing, but they believed in a lot of weird things. Cut myself, make me bleed. I can't, it can't even, you can do a little of your own research. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. But this is really bizarre. And this is how the kingdom of Israel was being led. So, <clears throat> now this is the evening time. At the usual time, for offering the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar. He, he didn't do a big hoopla dance. He just walked up there. Walked up to the altar and prayed. And I love this. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. And immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven and burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, and the dust. And it even licked up all the water in the trench because they filled it full of water. There's a big trench, 15, 20 liters of water in there. And they did it three times. And when the people saw it, They fell face down on the ground and cried out, The Lord, He is God. Yes, the Lord is God. Now, that's when I said, Hallelujah. This is some serious, serious confrontational things where God answered not only in prophecy, but in actual reality. Then after that, Elijah prays again, and it starts to rain. Beautiful. The whole story is quite complete now. You can see how he was 
a real challenge, like a real, oh, I feel like I call him a super spiritual superman. You know, some of us are like that. There are some real spiritual supermen in our congregation. And women, of course. It started raining again. Things were looking good. Well, Elijah says to Ahab, you better run home because uh, it's going to start pouring rain right away. And that was probably, I don't know, six miles or something back to Jezreel where they lived. And it says there in the Bible, it says that Ahab took off because he was interested in telling Jezebel what happened because Elijah told all these people, once the God consumed that sacrifice, he told them, grab the prophets. And they, they actually, un, I feel sorry for them, but they all lost their lives that day. And he said to Ahab, go home and get out of the rain. And then what happens, God, the Bible says that God gave Elijah some supernatural power. And he ran faster than the chariot to beat Ahab home. Because I think that he might have wanted to make sure that the story was properly spoken about. So this is what happens after that, something happened to him. It's gone as a totally amazing, victorious, spiritual high with God and, and the nation and, and seeing the amazing works of wonders. And it says, the Bible says that all of a sudden, Jezebel threatened him and his life. And the Bible says, Elijah was afraid. He walked for 10 kilometers or so that day into the, into the wilderness. He dropped his, his um, servant off, like Oscar said a, a few weeks ago, or that you know, he dropped his servant off and he headed into the wilderness. And he, and he stayed there overnight underneath a, a broom tree, it's called. But he actually went into a really, really, really bad depression And while he was sleeping, you know what God did? God sent an angel to give him some food. They gave him the bread, the bread right there. And you can't see this very well, but there's a pitcher of water here somewhere. The angel woke him up and said, Elijah, you have to eat something. And God was like, he was praying before that, God, I'm done. I can't do anything for you. Please take my life. This is what he was telling God. But God, in when we as Christians are doing our Christian thing, that are, we're serving God, we're preparing God, uh, things for God, we're, we're participating in programs, we're, we're doing what we can. God supernaturally provides all that stuff like he did supernaturally provide the fire and stop the rain. And he'll meet you where you're at. But also, if you get to a point where you feel like, wow, I know I'm doing God's work, but I don't feel that good. Something's really bothering me. I'm a little bit down. God still, in His infinite love, cares for Elijah like this. I send in an angel and saying, wake up, Elijah. And this man was on a mission. He had absolutely... No desire whatsoever to return back to the children of Israel and to do anything else for God. 
That's how low it was. The Bible teaches us that, that he was so low that he was he's going. God knew. He said, I'm going 40 days. I'm going to well, just keep walking until I die. And the angel came and said, have something to eat because you can't make it without this. This is, not, this is like Moses was sustained 40 days and 40 nights in Mount Sinai by God without food. Elijah was sustained 40 days and 40 nights by this little loaf of bread and a bit of water. And Jesus Christ was also the third one that was 40 days and 40 nights sustained by the Holy Spirit. It's possible. So the next part of the story goes where Elijah wakes up. He walks 40 days and 40 nights, which is about, I did a little looking into it, I think it was about 620 or so kilometers. Because he walked from Mount Carmel, or 110 kilometers out of there, to Mount Sinai. And that's where we know that Moses was there and the nation started there. And that's where he ends up. The thing about this, God said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? That was his question to him. Interesting that God asked him that. Because the man, imagine, I, I know in my own experience sometimes when I think and I believe 100% that God is working in me, I'm doing things for God, and all of a sudden I feel like, oh, something's wrong, it's not working. And, and I get on this one-way track, and, and then God says, what are you doing here, Ben? He might be asking you the same question sometimes. So be alert. Be aware of that. And what happened then? God came in four ways here. One of them was a wind. All of a sudden the Bible teaches us that there was a mighty wind. A mighty wind came. God was not in the wind. A mighty earthquake came. The wind was so strong that it actually blew the mountain down. And that would have been quite fearful, wouldn't it? I've seen those big rocks. We were just in the Grampians last weekend. Massive mountain. <laughs> Scary. Big wind. It says a thunderous crash. The wind came. The rocks fell. And God was not in there. God was not in the earthquake that came after that. And God was not in the fire. But God was, came and he was in this sweet, gentle voice. Loving Elijah, and it struck Elijah, and he knew. And it says, Elijah covered his face with his cloak. Because he knew he, that he was then in the presence of the Almighty God. God does not have to show off. God doesn't need to send fire from heaven. He's got a really beautiful way of talking to us, teaching us, loving us. Even when we go to this massive big circle of, of, of a spiritual high to a total spiritual low and we get totally lost God still loves us this is how nowadays we bring it up to date for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and God commanded us his love towards us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us 
The love of God is so amazing that that's the thing that we have to, in our generation, in our time now, really fall back on and say, you know, sometimes things don't look that good. 1 Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. Uh, one day I'd really like to tell you about the cross because, you know, I see that they have actually almost glorified it. And I know why, because they can't sell an image of what the crucifixion was really like. It would be, it's horrific and it's disgusting. And it's something that people would not pay money to have in their home, in their church, or their car, or wherever. You know, and um, that's not for right now. But the Lord Jesus Christ suffered a horrific death on the cross. And Jesus paid it all. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. This is your profile of your life. If you believe in Jesus Christ, you need to apply this verse to your life 100% wholeheartedly, continuously, every moment of your life. This will never change. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Jesus Christ, I am that I am. It is finished. John 19.30 The death of Jesus, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill scripture, he said, I am thirsty. And that comes from Psalms. A jar of sour wine was sitting there. So they soaked the sponge in it and put it on a hyssop branch and held it up to his lips. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is finished. And then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. That was the moment of impact when all God's love that he had stored up in all eternity, when he went, I'm going to just lavish it on the world now. Now you can have it. Take it. Just take it. God loves you. I love this. This is Micah 7.19. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. The sea is really quite an interesting place. It's very dangerous. Very dangerous to see. This is some creatures that they found at the bottom of the ocean. Goofy, weird looking things. I'm not even sure what they are. These are real living creatures that live beside your sins. (laughs) Take a look at that thing. That thing lives about three and a half kilometers down in the bottom of the ocean. So does he. It's a scary place. And the one point is this. No fishing. Leave him down there. I know that in my life that if I start thinking and overthinking and, and going through things and start analyzing and stuff, all of a sudden, I start thinking about the past. I start thinking about the uselessness of my past actions. And, and oh, many things come back and go, oh, what about this? What about when you did that? What about when you did that? that that's just a, an attack from the enemy. You cannot let that hinder you. And I almost am feeling that 
most of us might have had that experience where we go, oh, I remember what I did. Okay? That is a no fishing zone now. Hatred, envy, strife. And you see these fish? All these little fish? I can't, you can't see it on the detail. But all their eyes are popping out. They're like, whoa, what is that? They're seeing things down there that shouldn't be there. But God said in Micah 1, 7 there, you read it yourself, uh, He will cast all your sins into the sea. So don't do this. That's the abyss there. That guy, I don't know how they do this, but I know that they, they dive 200 meters or whatever in one breath of air. I think the world record is even more than that. I don't want to go swimming in the ocean looking for my past and my sins. And that is not what God had in mind. And that's not what Jesus Christ had in mind when he died on the cross and paid for our sins. It is finished. Sometimes things get a little muddy. And I think they might have gotten a little muddy for Elijah. And I think that sometimes they get a little bit muddy for us. But you can know, as parents, you would know, and even someone Dylan's age would know this because it's pretty common knowledge, that that child is not in that mud without its parents' supervision. The mom probably, or dad is probably right there watching it, going, controlling it, making sure that it's not in their eyes, making sure that it's not hurting them, making sure that, you know, they're doing what they got to do. See, the parents actually prepared these kids with these little goggles here. I believe that God's saying, sometimes I let you guys play in the mud a little bit. Because I want to teach you something. Perhaps. Possibly. But no matter what, if you feel like you're in the mud, God loves you. God is your Father. God will not let that mud hurt you. Your past was made clean by the King. My past was made clean by my king. First Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 says, God says, Come, let's reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Scarlet's a really red, crimsony color. It's really dark and deep, deep red color. But the contrast between being white as snow and crimson is dramatic. You are clean, pure vessels redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So when the Father looks at you, He does not see anything but that whiteness, pureness, clearness. It's crystal clear. Fear not. Isaiah 54, 4 to 10. Fear not. You will no longer live in shame, so don't be afraid. There is no disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood, for your Creator will be your husband. The Lord of Heaven's armies is His name. He is your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief. 
as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God, for a brief moment I abandoned you. But with great compassion I will take you back. In a burst of anger I turn my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love I will have compassion on you. Says the Lord your Redeemer. And I love this. People know about the first promise, but look at the second promise. Just as I swore in the time of Noah that I will never again let a flood cover the earth, so now I swear that I will never again be angry and punish you. A lot of people can quote the first promise, can't they? God's never going to flood the earth again. But how often do we think about the second promise? Never again will I be angry or punish you, for the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Why was Elijah discouraged? The, well, there's a few reasons. The dramatic events didn't turn the kingdom around. Everything was in vain. He thought it was all vain and fruitless. And he thought that he could do no more for God's cause. He was jealous for God and that they had forsaken God. And they tore down his altars and killed the prophets. And he really believed that he was the only one left. He believed that. Romans 6, 5 and 6. Since we have been united with him in his death. That's all of us that believe. We also will be raised to life as he was. Hallelujah. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives we are no longer slaves to sin. This is the good news. This is the good news. Jesus Christ came, died, <coughs> cleaned up our mess, and now we have eternal life through Him. That's exciting. How that is so appropriate for the camp theme, the good news. Living the good news. Leave the past where it belongs. In conclusion, who did Elijah think he was? Was he correct? Not really, was he? God told him after, I have 7,000 other was just like you. He even forgot the part of the story when you research and look into it yourself. You'll find that he met a Christian that hid 100 Jews in the cave and fed them every night. Who did Elijah think he was and was it correct? I don't think so. Who do we think we are and is it correct? We've got to look at that. Look at your situations. Look at your circumstances. Look at your Christian life. You could feel like, wow, I'm just going through the motions. But is that really correct? No matter what you think, Jesus will meet you there because Jesus understood Elijah. Jesus understands me, and Jesus understands you. He's Elijah's friend, he's my friend, and he's your friend. 
In conclusion, the last thing I want to say is we can learn a lesson here from Elijah. You can pray about things like he did with the fire and the rain. Or you can worry about things like he did in the cave. But no matter one way or the other, no matter what you do or what you think, the love of God is far greater and is so gentle and surpassing of every circumstance. Never again will I be angry or punish you. It is finished. Hallelujah. Rejoice. And again I say rejoice. Let the Holy Spirit direct you and guide you and lead you into, into a, new, a new avenue this year. If you feel like sometimes you're not worthy or, you know, you get these weird feelings as a person. We're all in the same nature. Let's pray. Thank you, Father. Father, take our cares, our concerns, our misunderstandings, our hatreds and jealousy, whatever it is. Help us to to remember that even the great prophet Elijah, the man who prayed fire from heaven, fell into a misunderstanding. Lord, ask that you would, we ask that you would continue to work in us, provide for us like you do, and you always have. And help us, Lord, if we fall into misunderstanding, if we have any, anything against each other or against ourselves forgive us and we ask that we can forgive ourselves we love you and we thank you Jesus Christ for being so perfect for what you did on the cross for saving us from complete and utter destruction that we are no longer a slave to the sinful nature but that we are free free to be happy free to be joyful free to love you and to bless you father so we give you all the praise and all the glory in his name and through the power of your beautiful, gracious Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>